Welcome to Royals Review Radio. I'm Max Reaper. I'm the editor of Royals Review, and I'm uh, the co-host here, joined by, as always, by Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you doing today? Hi, Max. Uh, good. Glad to glad to get rolling again here. We're after a long break. We're now at uh, not back to back weeks, but back to back ish weeks of doing these. So it's nice to to be back on our roll a little bit. Yeah, the holiday season kind of broke it up a little bit. Did you have a you have a happy Christmas with uh, friends and family? Yeah. Um, the, the missus lives down or her shed lived down. Um, most of her family lives down in the Ozarks. So we oh. go down in the Ozarks and it's a fun little drive and it's nice to see, uh, nice to see them and the, the, the small city living, leaving the big city of Kansas city. So it's, it's just like the, uh, the show on Netflix, yep. right? Exactly. <laughs> Lots of money exactly. laundering going on. Yep. Well, cool. All those businesses. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, Dave Moore gave Royals fans some some uh, Christmas presents, I guess, this month. Uh, he gave us a lot of speed. If, if you are a Royals fan that likes speed, well, Dave Moore gave that to you in droves. I think the big signing, uh, at least big in relative terms, is is Billy Hamilton. The Royals signed him to a one-year deal that will pay him $4.25 million in year one. And, of course, there's a mutual option in year two for $7 million with a $1 million buyout. Hamilton, you know, is known for being one of the fastest, if not the fastest man in baseball. Um, I think he was fifth in, in sprint speed last year. Uh, his stolen, uh, you know, 50, base, 50 bases a year for several seasons. Had a little bit of a down year last year, uh, and so that's why the Reds non-tendered him, uh, making him a free agent. Uh, but he's, you know, a younger guy on the right side of 30 years old, you know, uh, big Knock on him, of course, is he can't get on base because he doesn't hit the ball hard enough. Um, what was your kind of impression on Billy Hamilton? I mean, the Royals seem to be doubling down on speed in, in a time in which everyone else in baseball is getting away from speed, so does it make sense to, to kind of sign Billy Hamilton? Yeah, yeah, I was trying to think. There's been a couple of free agents that it's just it was just destiny. Yeah. Like you knew at one point, like, okay, some at, at some point – these guys are going to be Royals. I can't think of who it was. There's Oh, I think Jeff Francoeur was one of them. Yeah. A guy that you just knew at one point, like, okay, he's going to be a Royal somehow. Um, and so, yeah, Hamilton is one of those guys that you could always envision on the team. You know, two years ago, you would have been coughing up. I mean, probably could have been a top 100 prospect or so from him. I, I mean, Hamilton. Yeah, I think he was at one point, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but say he himself was one. And so, like, you could have been, you know, paying a little bit more for him. <laughs> two years later you got him for effectively free mm-hmm. uh you know yeah you had to pay money but you didn't have to cop up any real assets and you know money is just money you can cut him tomorrow and you know exactly how much you've lost as opposed to a prospect you have maybe no idea what you've given up so yeah i mean <sighs> it's something i mean it's kind of your typical date more kind of guy the royals defense is actually is obviously going to be pretty good in the outfield even even if you don't necessarily have room for uh, you know Brett Phillips, you're still doing pretty well overall in the outfield um, defensively, and yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, you know you can't really steal first, which is what everybody says, and you know the guy with a career uh, 298 OBP fits very very well in the Royals' uh, offense, but yeah, I mean it's interesting. It'll give, if anything, it will give fans something to not like totally ruin the next six months for you know it, it'll give him something to watch and hamilton will be fun assuming he doesn't get hurt or anything so yeah i mean i'm not i don't love the signing but i don't know i mean what are you gonna do the team's gonna be bad anyway so what's it hurt necessarily unless it takes playing time away from you know a prospect but there's no outfielder 
ready prospect in double A AA or triple A that, you know, this is really going to take time from necessarily. Yeah, I think in a vacuum, you know, he's been a one to three wins above replacement player every single year of his career. And so in a vacuum, like getting that for yeah. $4.25 million, that's a that's a steal, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think he'll, he'll he, you know, play a little bit better in Kauffman Stadium because he's got more room to cover and he can, you know, kind of boost his metrics a little bit. Um, you know, his offense, of course, is a zero, but, um, you know, the Royals... <laughs> Uh, may not you know obviously don't care about that so much and he does he does help you on the bases a lot he does really well on base running runs uh, he steals bases at an 81 percent success rate which is phenomenal so he you know his legs come as advertised um, yeah. you kind of glossed a little bit over how it affects you know the Royals don't have a lot of outfield prospects per se at the upper levels that he'll block but um, you know, they, they do have Brett Phillips, who I think is major league ready or close to major league ready. They do have Jorge Bonifacio, who had a full season or almost a full season in the big leagues and then had last year, which is kind of a lost season uh, due to a suspension. And then he didn't hit very well after he returned. So I think there is a question of like, you know, is he blocking those guys, getting a good look yeah. at those guys in a season in which the Royals should be really getting a good look at any young player they can. Hamilton's not old, but he's 28. He's not really part of the future. So I think there was some criticism from some, a lot of Royals fans, actually more than I expected, uh, that that I think wanted to see um, more of Bonifacio and Phillips and, and not necessarily bring in someone new like Hamilton. So how do you think the outfield will shake out next year? Like who do you think kind of gets the short end of the stick? Yeah, I mean, I've always, I always think I've been lower on Bonifacio. Um, I don't know. I mean, he'll only be 26, but I'm not sure he's done necessarily that much in the major leagues to be impressive. I, he's, he's certainly, you know, doesn't necessarily look the part, and that's a weird thing to say. But as far as he struggled at times. You know, ran almost 30% strikeout rates. I mean, there's some things to like about him. Um, but, you know, we've suffered a lot of prospect fatigue with Bonifacio. He's been around since 2010, I think, um, since he was, what, 17 or 18. So that's one of those things. We've just been around for so long that, I don't know, It's like it was like with Cuthbert where Cuthbert had been around forever that, you know, he's no longer today, in 2018, he's no longer the guy that had a, 120 whatever w wrc plus at the age of 20 in a ball you know like okay that was eight years ago or whatever um and so yeah i mean bonifacio's i'm not losing very much sleep not seeing him uh get starting time phillips i'm not a huge phillips fan either i think we kind of know what he is um but at least there's some more hope i think brett phillips potential and upside is certainly better than uh bonifacio's uh, while I don't necessarily think that Phillips is going to figure out how to not strike out 35% of the time, um, I do think that you know if you're going to give someone 600 plate appearances between Bonifacio or Phillips or Hamilton, I think I'd rather see it a Phillips of the three. Um, and then it also kind of seems like with now the more of a logjam, you're basically committing Soler to BDH. I mean, you're basically giving up on him being in the outfield, which, I mean... They probably in, should. In, <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. In the end, anyways, Solaire's bat was going to be the thing that matters the most, so it's not that big of a deal mm-hmm. necessarily. But it is one of those where it's like, okay, he's officially not an outfielder anymore, um, at least for the Royals. So that's he does lose some value moving from right field to DH, you know, kind of positionally positional adjustment wise. But I mean, in the end, I think most of us were just going to care about how he hit. So, and of course, as you said, and as you alluded to, I mean, yeah, I mean, anything to get him off the field is probably going to be the better thing for him. 
Yeah, I, th- I think you're right about Bonifacio. I think he, at this point he he kind of is what he is. I mean, he, when you're a defensively limited outfielder in this day and age, you're just not going to be very valuable. You know, if you have even if you have a little pop, because pop is cheap right now, and yeah, um, you know, I think I compared him online to Avicel Garcia, which I don't even know if that's all that fair. And Garcia had one one Huge. big year where he had a you know a really big yeah. BABIP and was kind of lucky and you know hit for some power that year. And then other than that, he was pretty much replacement level, and the White Sox non-tendered him. You know, and I think that's probably kind of Bonifacio's fate at this point. You know, he'll probably be about replacement level, okay with his bat, pretty bad with defensively, and. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't know if that really fits into what the Royals want to do with their outfield, and probably shouldn't. With with you know what they want to do with speed and defense. Um, you know, Brett Phillips. I think your ride has probably more upside just because you put an outfield of Gordon, Hamilton, and Phillips, and and I don't think that's a good outfield. I think that's a great defensive outfield. Yeah, certainly. Um, and that has a chance to to really help that young pitching staff. So, I, I don't know if his bat will ever come around. Yet yeah, the strikeout rate, as you mentioned, I think is very problematic. Um, you know, on the other hand, maybe strikeouts don't matter as much as they used to. If you can, you know, he's he's had a decent walk rate in the minor leagues. If he can hit for a little bit of pop, get on base a little bit, um, you know, he he's never hit for a high average in the minors, so he'll probably always have a low on base percentage. But if his if his defense can out you know outweigh that, I think he can be a pretty valuable piece. But I would like to see more of him. I I, I would be disappointed if um, if Hamilton signing means that Phillips spends another year in AAA or, or at least a, a significant amount of time in AAA. Bonifacio might benefit, actually, I think, from you know spending some time in AAA and getting his, his swing back, his confidence back. I think the one factor is that he's the only right-handed bat um, out of all those guys. Oh, um, yeah, I didn't think about that. So I don't know how lefty-heavy they want to be. And maybe that doesn't matter since the infield uh, is, well, yeah, O'Hearn, uh, but the yeah. rest of the infield is, is right-handed. So maybe yeah. it, you know, it works itself out. And, you know, when you have – you're talking about a loaded outfield, you know, it's not like these are – all-stars. All I mean, you could probably yeah. sit Alex Gordon once or twice a week. Billy Hamilton could certainly sit. Um, and as far as roster spots, a lot of times, these things work themselves out. Jorge Soler has had a, an extensive history of being hurt. Um, you know, Brett Phillips has spent some time on the disabled list. Alex Gordon has spent some time on the disabled list, and he'll be in his mid-30s. So, some you know, usually these things work themselves out, and it's nice to have outfield depth. Um, I'll be more concerned if it were mid-season and Billy Hamilton has a ton of plate appearances and Bonifacio and Phillips haven't gotten any major league action, then I'll be a little concerned, but um, yeah. you know, we'll see how it plays out. I don't think, like you said, I think it gives Royals fans something to kind of look forward to or look, you know, some excitement. Um, they're going to steal a ton of bases with him and Montessi and Merrifield and even Phillips. So um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. It's a, it's an interesting experiment. I, I mean, you know, it kind of goes into their larger philosophy of they're like really doubling down on speed and I think there's been some talk about, like, that's good. Yeah, the Royals should zig where others zag, and that's the whole Moneyball philosophy, and that's kind of true. Um, but, I mean, what do you kind of take of their um, desire to go with speed um, and, and maybe move away from power? Yeah, I think what people are forgetting is the fact that – so they're basing the idea of defense and speed and, you know, putting the ball – putting balls in play are going to lead – to success and, and they base that off of and I they as in a lot of Royals fans, not all Royals fans, um, they base it off the fact that the 2014, 2015 teams had, you know, really, really good defense, good base running, and, you know, put the ball in play, didn't strike out. I think they forget, and we'll look it up right now. Uh, I think they forget that the twenty fourteen and twenty fifteen teams were also decent hitting teams. 
Um, the like fifteen the, team was the fourteen team wasn't very good at yeah, all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. So the four. Yeah. The fifteen team had a. And let me get rid of pitchers. It had a ninety nine WRC plus with pitchers. When you remove pitchers, it had a oh, still ninety nine. But it moves from tenth best in the league to eighth best in the league. So it was a top ten hitting team. Um, and so it wasn't just relying on speed and defense. You couldn't have the Royals speed and defense even in now or 2015 and have like an 80 WRC plus or something. Um, you, you needed more than that. And so, um, yeah, I, I think, and then you're right. Yeah. They were, man, they were a 93 WRC plus. I don't even remember it being 24th best in the league. The 2014, how did that team ever make the playoff? I have <laughs> well, one. I think they struggled much of the year and then got the bats got a little hotter towards the end of the year. And also remember that was a much different offensive age than you know yeah i know it's only yeah. three years no, and i know right. you know ops plus adjusts for that but um you know there's a lot more home runs being hit now than there were even three years ago so um i don't know is that does that make it more uh obvious that they should go into speed if everyone's hitting home runs no because i mean in the end in the end good hitters if you, you know, i guarantee if you plotted the, the kind of correlation between you know wins and WRC plus, they're going to correlate very, very highly. And WRC plus is not affected by by base running, as you know, it, it's about it's about on base percentage and slugging. You can do one or the other, and you can definitely do both, but you can't do neither mm-hmm. uh, and end up you know being a high WRC plus team. Uh, you've got to be able to hit in some capacity, and speed is limited by on base percentage. Right, right. Um, so, I mean. You know, if you look at uh, Adalberto Imanesi's projection, I mean, it's whatever. Let me pull it up real quick. It's a crazy amount of steals, uh, but, you know, the projections, what is it? It is uh, 46 stolen bases with a 292 OBP. Um, those are, I'm going to just very strongly assume that those are not calculated together. They're both calculated off of the, you know, by themselves because it's going to be very, very hard to have a 40. Six stolen bases, called fifty, with a two ninety two OBP, getting on that much. I mean, without like a crazy ninety five percent success rate, which I guess might be possible, but it's very very tough to ask for. Um, and so, no, I, I don't think that the whole idea of zigging with others or zagging really makes sense unless you're zagging with something other than just being fast and good defense, because it's still other than that twenty fourteen team, which looking back on it. We also are forgetting about the bullpen being very, very good, and the Royals' 2018 bullpen was anything but good. Um, you know, it was this three combinations that just happened to work. Maybe isn't a good success plan going forward, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, 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 I definitely agree. And I think, you know, the Royals, if they wanted to, to have speed at the expense of, of power, that would be one thing. But it seems like yeah. there's a speed at the expense of, as you say, on-base percentage, which which is terrible. And yeah. Um, you know, I think I took a look, look at the past, um, you know, those 70s Royals teams that had Willie Wilson and Amos Otis and Freddie Podtech and all those guys that could, that could steal like jackrabbits. Um, they, were, they, they were always at the top of the league, league, league uh, leaders in stolen bases, uh, and the team as a whole led the league in stolen bases. But they also were usually pretty good at on-base percentage. Not great, necessarily, yeah. but they were, you know, middle of the pack at on-base percentage. Uh, usually because they put the ball in play and, and got you know had a high average, but also because they drew a fair fair amount of walks, not a lot. Um, but this team doesn't really do either of those things. In fact, they actually have a lot of 
guys that are low batting average guys like Billy Hamilton, um, like uh, Brett Phillips, you know, so far in his minor league career. Uh, you know, Jorge Soler certainly is not a high average guy. So if they're not going to hit for average and they're not going to draw walks, I guess Soler does a little bit. You know, then you're not, you have a lot of guys that aren't getting on base. And, you know, that 15 team, yeah, they stole some bases, but they also had, you know, they're a pretty balanced team. They had some guys that could steal bases and draw Dyson. They had guys that could get on base like Alex Gordon and Ben Zobris. And they had guys that could hit the ball at the ballpark like Kendris Morales and Eric Hosmer and Mike Moustakas. So there was more balance there. And it seems like they're putting all their chips now in speed. And, yeah. and I don't know if they necessarily believe, oh, speed is the key to everything. We'll score a lot more runs now. I think that's more, it may be more out of desperation. Like, we can't get power hitters. Uh, we can't get on base guys, so we might as well get you know, speed is cheap, so we'll 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 dig through that, and at least we'll excel in in one thing. Yeah. Uh, I think Dave Moore actually said something to that effect, like we need to we were below average in lots of things. We we need to be excellent at one thing, even if it's something that's you know kind of ancillary to scoring runs. Uh, so so I kind of get it, uh, but I don't yeah I don't necessarily think this is gonna make them a very good run scoring team next year. Um, yeah, and looking looking back on it now, and I just ran a quick. Uh, play index query uh, of the teams that made the playoffs OBPs of those teams uh, so like the bottom one two the bottom five three of them is are were in 2014 so there's a big cluster for some reason 2014 was the year that low OB, low OB, low OBP teams made the playoffs it was Baltimore and San Francisco but basically Nobody lower than a 315 OBP other than these fluky 2014 teams made it. And of the uh, of the 60 playoff teams since 2013, all but basically one, two, three, four, all but basically four had, you know, a below 95 WRC plus and 35, call it 40 actually, had a had 100 or better OPS plus. So, I mean, to make a playoffs, you basically need to be a league average team, unless you do a league average hitting team, unless you do something else very, very well. And even then, there's a weird cluster of 2014 for some reason. A bunch of bad hitting teams made the playoffs that year, um, so it's weird. And then you've got Colorado, who just gets destroyed for their park factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's the other one? So yeah, I mean, I it, from the look of it, you've got to actually be able to be, you know, a league average hitting team or better to to really stand a chance, even even if your defense is great. I would be interested if they, and maybe they are, they are trying to do this, but if they went uh, with guys with really low strikeout rates, because you know it seems like the guys, a lot of this team strikes out surprisingly high, and a lot of their prospects too, like Khalil Lee and Suri yeah. Matias, Nick Prado, even you know they have a yeah. pretty high strikeout rate. Um, the one exception would be Nicky Lopez, uh, who's a you know very very low strikeout rate um, so far in the minors. Uh, so I would be kind of interesting, you know, interested seeing if they were to kind of double down on that and go for like really high contact hitters although with the way teams shift around maybe you know putting the ball in play is not what you want to necessarily do if you're not hanging out of the ballparks so you know it'd be an interesting yeah. experiment i don't know if it'd work or not but it'd make more sense to me than than just kind of doubling down on speed and saying well that's the you know stealing stealing bases that's the way to win games in 2008 and uh, 2019 yeah and I, and I i did think it's curious that why all of a sudden and i mean it's a lot of their prospects in the minor leagues are a lot of their top guys in the minor leagues are striking out a bunch too. Cause I mean, even Ryan O'Hearn struck out a bit. I mean, yeah, Prado, Matias, Melendez, Lee. I mean, these all, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on, um, not court Peterson. They've just got so many guys that are having these random high strikeout rates, which was never a calling card for the Royals, mm-hmm. um, at all. 
Um, but of course, there's just that's also the volatility of kind of younger prep bats. And I know Matias was an international guy, but you know, younger 18, 19 year olds uh, kind of getting into the first full full year ball on a ball. So, uh, but it is kind of interesting to see this. I, I don't know if it's a purposeful shift, a meaning, uh, uh, a shift to a different philosophy on purpose, or if it was just kind of a coincidence that they like these guys, but they're all striking out at, you know, 25% or more. So, so, so you started something this week called the, the Royals review laboratory. And so I have, yep. I have a question for you. And if you want to give the email to that in just a second, you can, oh, yeah. but uh, I have a question for you then that, that kind of sparks uh, something out of me. Um, are minor league strikeout rates rising as fast as major league strikeout rates? Are there, because, you know, I get the sense that the major league strikeout rate is rising because of bullpenning and, you know, guys out of the bullpen now have just filthy stuff. They're throwing harder than ever. But is that happening at the minor league level as well? I think it's a no. Um, I think someone looked at this. Uh, no, but I can't. I, I could have sworn someone. Maybe nobody has. I could have sworn someone. Um looked at this already because they were also looking at um how the batted ball in the major leagues the home run to fly ball rate or the home run percentage rate in the major leagues spiked Mm -hmm. uh but it stayed the same effectively in the minor leagues so this is how we figured out and when i say us or we i mean other people uh figured out how there was a juice ball they go well the ball's not flying in the minor leagues they go oh yeah because the minor leagues use a different baseball yeah um so but that's a very good one. I'll look at yeah. We'll meet, we'll add that to our list because I thought the answer was that no, they've actually stayed fairly the same. Um, but that's a very good one to look at. So yeah, we'll add that to our list. And what was the email address for that? Oh yes, uh, Royals Review Lab. No S. Royals Review Lab at gmail dot com. Um, and yeah, that we've already got a couple questions in on those, um, a handful and. Uh, I think that's going to be something that, you know, throughout the season, if the readers, if you guys have questions or random things. And I also want to emphasize if Rex Hudler says something <laughs> that sounds wrong. Or Lee please, Judge writes something. Yes, please send it to us, and I guarantee you we will tear it down. If you've ever been wondering about something about the game of baseball or about the Royals, uh, that's kind of our email or – Sean will take your questions and, and, and check it out and write a full article on it. So it's something try and because uh, we get questions all the time and we forget about them and, and they would make really interesting uh, articles. And so we want to have one place to have them all and answer your, your questions. So that's yep. pretty neat. We're also made a couple more transactions. Uh, let's start with Terrence Gore. Old friend alert um, has been with the organization for a while. They, they traded him to the Cubs for cash last summer, but he's, he's back on a an interesting split level major league minor league deal where he gets six hundred fifty thousand dollars if he's in the major leagues, uh, three hundred fifty thousand if he's in the minors. He'll start out in the major league forty uh, man roster. Uh, so, what did you think of the Terrence Gore signing? Does it, does it make sense to give him a major league roster spot like that? No, it doesn't make sense. Um, but if we're sticking with this idea that we want to have speed and be good be exciting and good at something then yeah i mean sure that makes sense i'm trying to think what's core's motive what's core's ultimate motivation in this i mean obviously it's to stay in the majors but if he goes to the minors he gets a little better salary than what maybe he would have gotten but i money's nice yeah no i'm not saying that i'm just trying to figure through like okay i wonder why he wouldn't just ask for i wonder if he came to the table and was like 
here's the major league salary I want. Give me a million. They go, no, we'll give you 650 plus 350 in the minors. It's like, okay, as opposed to if he just got the 1 million and then got sent down to the minors, he still gets to keep the full 1 million. So I'm just wondering whose idea it was to do the split contract and what his ultimate motivation is. Because if it's to stay on the minor league roster, if it's, excuse me, if it's to stay on the major league roster, then his minor league salary is irrelevant. If he knows and has an idea that he's going to be sent down to the minors, then he'll want to pad that. So, uh, you know, it's a weird deal, but I mean, it is, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's anything exciting about it. And we know Gore can't, if we know Hamilton can't hit, we definitely know Gore can't hit either. Yeah. Uh, well, so, he, he was on the, he was on the Fangrass podcast and he said that there was 13 or 14 teams interested in him as a fan. Oh, wow. So that, that kind of, that was interesting to me. Um, I think he probably just negotiated the best deal he could. And I think it's interesting yeah. the Royals put the 350,000 minor league, minor league salary in there, almost like a poison pill. Yeah. So that yeah. like if, so, okay. So what's going to happen? He's going to go to major league camp and he's out of options. So they're going to have to designate him for assignment to send him to the Omaha. He's going to have to go through waivers for any team to claim him off, off waivers. They're going to have to give him that same salary and no team's going to want to do that. Some, you know, presumably, yeah. Um, and so he's going to get sent to Omaha. He's going to make his $350,000. And so because of that salary, they can kind of keep him in the system. That's how I kind of see it playing out. But um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, but it's at, at the expense of having to pay Terrence Core $350,000, though. You know what I mean? It's not like he's such an asset. Right. Like poison pills are really good analogy on that one. Um, but, you know, the, the poison pill is also in the interest of – the 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 poison pills are there for the employee not necessarily the company uh the employee wants to not be fired or if he gets or if like they get taken into a merger it, it's so that the employee doesn't get kind of you know screwed over so that's why i'm wondering but, but he wins just, from this too and he gets more money than he ordinarily would I think. right right that's what i'm saying and yeah. so like he he wins on it yeah uh i don't know what the royals motivation is because well they get to keep him i think keep him in the system i think because they knew that they they knew that they, they have he has to clear waivers in, in march one way or right. the other so this is a way to satisfy him enough to make him want to come back here and also scare other teams away from claiming him right now, now the, the expense the expense comes at a 40-man roster spot exactly that's what i'm saying so yeah. so best case scenario is or i guess median case scenario is that you're paying Billy, you're paying Terrence Gore three hundred fifty thousand dollars in the minors, yeah. Like as opposed to pay him six fifty in the majors, and we're we're talking about very minor money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I just thought it was a very weird clause, just for the fact of just for the privilege of paying Terrence Gore three hundred fifty thousand dollars in the minors. Well, I don't think the issue is so much even that you have to pay him six hundred fifty thousand dollars in the majors. I think the issue is no one wants to carry him on their twenty five man roster. Yeah. Um. But, the, but, I mean, the problem is that I think, what, what what's the upside? I don't get the upside. Exactly. Like, you, you traded him last year for cash considerations. I can't imagine anyone's going to give you much more than that. I mean, no. I don't know. Maybe, there's, maybe teams are like, oh, wow, that, that really worked out for the Cubs last year. I mean, you know, maybe he'll be a real asset and we'll give up some, you know, young young arm in our Dominican summer team. But I don't know. Like, he, Royals aren't going to the postseason next year. I don't no. know what Terrence Gore does for you. I guess maybe they're banking on him – figuring out how to hit but there's no evidence he's gonna hit yeah and he's 27 years old i think 28 and yeah so they're protecting an asset that 
does it necessarily have that much right. worth? Right. And, yeah. And again, we're talking about very, very little money when it comes to Major League Baseball. Yeah. So. This isn't. Like, I'm not like upset. I'm the only yeah. thing I'm upset about. I guess it would be like the 40 man roster spot that could go towards some exact. waiver claim that would be interesting. But Bubba Starling. I mean, I would rather give that to Bubba Starling to be honest. The 40 man spot, but that's just me. Yeah. Uh, the other signing is it's perhaps a minor transaction as well, but uh, what Warren's mentioning is Chris Owings. The Royals signed the the utility player to a three million dollar deal. He was non tendered by the Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, where he'd spent uh, a number of years. He was a former first round pick, yeah, um, and never quite lived up to that potential. But he was a useful player, like a one. He had a couple seasons where he was above a one uh, repl- one win above replacement player. A low average guy, but can walk a little bit, can steal a few bases, has a little bit of power. I think his biggest asset is that he can play pretty much anywhere on the field. So. I, I was a little surprised that this – I thought it was an okay signing. I was a little surprised, um, like, David Lesky of Baseball Prospectus was very much against it. Um, a couple other Royals fans really panned it. What did you think of the Chris Owings signing? Yeah. I. You know, I think I've become semi-known of having – like, not hot takes, but being very, very strong about things. And, like, I just didn't care about the Chris Owings signing at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean – I was just like, okay, whatever. Um, it's you know, it's three million bucks. They could cut him tomorrow, not really lose anything. Um, and I mean, I guess he kind of fits in that. If it's him or Alcides, if signing Owens means we never see Alcides Escobar in a Royals uniform again, that's that's worth it to me. I will I will give money in a GoFundMe to pay for Owens' next deal if it means that we never have to see Escobar again. So if that's the saving grace kind of of it, then cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's there's really nothing to like or dislike. I mean, if he gets 300 plate appearances, has an 80 WRC plus, plays some okay defense, and okay, whatever. I mean, it's nothing that's going to kill anything. And I do think it's interesting a little bit. And well, one, if we're going to talk about how far baseball, how far scouting and scouting analysis has gone, I don't think Owens today. He was he was ranked 28th overall by BP, was the highest he's ever gotten. I'm not sure he would be a top 30 prospect today, even, you know, with his his former stats, um, if he rated him back then, because he didn't really hit that great in the minors necessarily. Um, and so I just think it's interesting the Royals have kind of slowly collected a couple of these former top 100 guys um, with Lopez and Phillips and um, Owings. And I'm missing somebody else, I feel like, too. Um, Goodwin. Brian Goodwin was kind of a... Brian Goodwin, yeah, yeah. And so... Yeah, yeah, and so it's kind of, and this is when I wrote kind of my piece a year ago about like what a rebuilding team should be looking at. Mm-hmm. This is kind of the case now. I'm not sure there's much rebound possibility. It, it's not like always needed a change of scenery, yeah. like like Jerks and Profar. So, but you know, the Brett Phillips makes sense. Javi Lopez makes sense. Um, are we calling him Javi Lopez? Jorge. Jorge, why did I say Javi? Oh, yeah, Jorge. There's been a couple Javi Lopez's through the right. years, but he's, oh my goodness. this is Jorge. Uh, yes, Jorge, of course. Uh, and so, it, like, those are good cases for uh, trying to find, you know, reclamation guys who didn't have a ton of maybe MLB experience who just couldn't break through. But, I mean, Owens has already got 2,100 career plate appearances, so he's, I mean, we he's there. We know he's going to be yeah. an ADWRC plus-ish hitter. Uh, and so... But I just thought it was interesting that, oh, here's another top one, former top 100 prospect they picked up. Um, maybe too little, too late, but 
Anyways. Yeah, he's 27. He, he pretty much is what he is. And it, I'm looking at his minor league stats now. It, yeah, it's curious that he was ever ranked as a top prospect just because his numbers in the minors are very underwhelming until he gets to AAA where he got to hit at Reno, which is a new, yeah. notoriously great hitting environment. So, yeah, I don't I don't know what people were. I guess people love the tools. But, um, yeah, he's he'll probably get 200 to 300 plate appearances. I'm sure we'll be complaining in June that he's he's playing at shortstop like too much. That oh, you know, yeah. goes to sitting Montessi. Uh but you know I, the Royals I think are very sensitive to uh, Montessi's playing time because I think they feel like he's, he's going to wear down. And you know look at his frame; he's very, very small, very th- you know uh, a thin guy. Uh, it, I think you'd, you'd worry about him wearing down or getting hurt a lot. So to have a guy that can and, and Owings isn't a great shortstop by any stretch, but he can play the position without falling down on his face and. You can stick him there once a week, twice a week, and not feel bad about it. He's probably more valuable in the outfield. Uh, $3 million is probably an overpay. I mean, yeah, I saw maybe. Ronald Torres got like $800,000 from the Twins, and he's about the same kind of player. He can't play the outfield as well, but um, not a whole lot of separation. But it's not my money. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, and honestly, that... go get your money, Chris Owings. You know? Yeah, good for him. Yeah. And, um, and back to kind of – the what I was mentioning with like former scouting uh, or analysis, the quick opinion, the quote unquote quick opinion, uh, and this is fan graphs, they have their player capitals every year, and this is after after he hit whatever 330 um, in AAA. Mark Hewlett, um, who used to still does prospect stuff for the fan graphs, but used to be kind of their main guy, he wrote, despite hitting 330 in AAA in 2013, Owens isn't assured of an open day assignment. If he gets his chance, expect him hit for a solid average. With decent pop, mm. and because scouting players are hard, Owen's career stat: decent average. He's hit for 250. His <laughs> his decent pop or solid average is 250. Decent pop, 378 slugging percentage. Uh, so scouting's really really hard, and they you know no offense to Mark or the BP guys, but they they swung and missed pretty good at this yeah. one. It happens, and you never know yeah. what would happen to Chris Owings along the way, and it, yeah, maybe it just wasn't meant to be, but. Uh, so two guys that I think the Royals do hope that their scouts did their homework with, um, are a couple of pitchers they acquire in the rule five draft. Uh, the Royals had the second overall pick in the draft, uh, and they used that pick to take, uh, Sam McWilliams from the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, he's a 23 year old, had a 5.02 ERA across high A and double A last year in a hundred innings. But a pretty good strikeout rate. He stands six foot seven, has a mid nineties or low nineties fastball, I guess depending on who you talk to. Decent slider, uh, kind of has some a nice weird angle to throw from. Uh, kind of like like a, like a downhill thrower. Um, so there may be something there to work with. They also acquired Chris Ellis in a trade from the rule five in the, during the rule five draft uh, from the Rangers. He originally came from the Cardinals organization. Uh, Ellis uh, actually started his career at the, the Angels. They went to the Braves uh, and spent last year at the Cardinals. Um, he had a 3.93 ERA last year uh, at age 26 and has 124 strikeouts in 132 innings uh, in AA and AAA. Did the Royals do good here? Did they grab a couple of arms that could contribute this year? Do we have a Brad Keller or do we have a Birch Smith on our hands? Um, it's hard to it's hard to say there's a Brad Keller and as someone who's a Brad Keller skeptic uh, myself. Um, I think Ellis ends up going back. I think McWilliams sticks, but um, in the similar Keller vein, they kind of roll him out of the bullpen 
someone will get hurt and then well someone Danny Duffy will get hurt and then uh McWilliams will get his kind of shot to be in the rotation I, I think McWilliams sticks more than Ellis um even though Ellis maybe has a little bit better raw stuff I, I still think that McWilliams um given his size and that like you said kind of the downhill plane I, I think he's a uh, a little bit better, even if his stuff isn't quite as jumping off the page exciting. And not that Ellis has this crazy raw tools, but um, McWilliams is a little more filled out and a little kind of better overall package. So I think Ellis ends up going back. Um, and then uh, McWilliams, I mean, no, it's impossible to call someone Brad Keller, um, especially hitting on two back to back picks like that, it, you know, back to back rule five drafts. And so I, I like McWilliams for what he is. Um, and I definitely think that if you compared Brad Keller's report and and McWilliams' report, you know, at the Rule Five draft time, they would have been very very similar players. And so I think they, you know, like McWilliams and they grabbed him. And I will say I called I called it. I did tweet out that I think they're going to take McWilliams, so I'm going to take full credit for it. If he's bad, I take no credit for it. <laughs> Was that inside information you're getting, or that was just a, no? Just a I just, I just, I was looking at Rule Five guys, and I was thinking like, okay, who makes the most sense? And McWilliams just kind of jumped off the page at me as far as guys. I was thinking, yeah, I think that's who they're going to take, um, and it was a lucky guess. I, it wasn't anything. Yeah, I think with the Rule Five draft, you, you know, a couple of commenters said, you know, like oh, these numbers are pretty underwhelming. It's like, well, yeah, they got un- yeah. <laughs> left unprotected for the Rule Five draft. They weren't deemed one of the top forty players in the organization, um, so. I think what you're looking for is not necessarily guys that have done anything of note in the minor leagues, but guys that you're like, well, he's got some tools there, and I feel like if we tweak something, maybe add a slider or get some more spin rate out of him or maybe get him to use his his frame better, um, that we can get more out of him. And so I think McWilliams kind of uh, offers more opportunity there because of his tall 6'7 frame, because of kind of the downward action. He's got a decent fastball that you can work with, I think. I think you're probably right about Ellis. We'll see what he has, what he brings to spring training. Um, I don't see as much upside uh, there. Um, he does come from the Cardinals organization. I think Cal Eldred was the minor yeah. league pitching coordinator when he was still there, when Ellis was in the organization. So there may be a connection there. It's, you know, a guy that he thinks he can work with and maybe tweak. Um, that's a possibility. Um, but, yeah, I think McWilliams is a guy that could stick. Uh, but I think fans probably should temper their expectations. I know Brad Keller worked out really, really well, but those situations are very rare. <laughs> if you look at the you know history of Rule 5 drafts, I mean, one, once every two or three years, you'll get a, a pretty solid big leaguer out of it, like out of the entire draft. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And most of the time, you end up with, with a Miguel Asensio or uh, Jandel Gustav. Does anyone remember yeah. his, his stint with the Royals in spring training? Yep. Um, you know, it's a guy that's not going to make the team out of spring training and, and it's going to get returned. So we'll see with these two guys. You know, I think it's wise for the Royals to make two picks or essentially get two players out of the Rule 5. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, you got the 40-man roster spots. You, you need talent. Add guys like that. Um, so I don't know. Were there any surprises or guys you thought they should have taken in the draft? That ended No, up getting I think that's the order I would have gone in. I think McWilliams would have been who I would have taken uh, probably first. Um, Riley Farrell didn't seem like a guy they were going to go after, and Richie Martin is kind of redundant to what they've already mm-hmm. got. Like Owings, I, I, did they have Owings? They probably might have had Owings. Yeah, they had Owings at the time already. Okay, uh, and so like you know, I get that, and um, Garrett was okay too. I, so yeah, I mean, 
not that any Rule 5 draft is like, oh my gosh, look at these guys. These are going to be great mm-hmm. assets. I thought that, you know, really whoever they took of those was fine. Um, and even the one time, oh gosh dang it, who was it? Uh, even the one time when there was a guy who just jumped off the page, who the did the Rays take him? Uh, who was it? Gosh dang it. I'm blanking on it. Uh, there was someone that, like, everybody's like, oh, uh, Tyler Goodell, sorry. Uh, the Phillies took him from the Rays. Nobody goes, oh, my God, this guy's going to be good. How could the Rays not protect him? He was awful. Yeah. Um, he was taken first, quote-unquote, first overall <laughs> in the Rule 5 draft. That's kind of stretching the term first overall, and he just wasn't any good. And so these things are just so hard to predict that it's, I don't know, it's tough to get either angry or, or happy about a pick necessarily that could be gone by the time April rolls around. Yeah, if you look at the guys that were taken in last year's Rule 5 draft, there were 15 guys taken, and most a lot of these names, and I follow baseball pretty closely, I've never heard of. Like, I don't remember the second overall pick, Julian Fernandez, that the Giants took. I, he was, I, I'm pretty sure he got returned nope. without ever making the team. Um, and, and Yellow Gomez, the Braves took from the Yankees. Jordan Milbrath, the Pirates took from the Indians. I mean, most of these names yeah. didn't even make their teams, and, mo- and yep. I, the ones that did, were uh, probably returned midseason guys like I remember uh, Tyler Kinley. The Twins returned him. Luke Bard, the Angels returned him. Oh yeah, I forgot Luke I think Bard. The only ones that stuck were Keller and Smith and Carlos Tochi with the no. He he was traded to the Rangers and he stuck there. And then uh, Victor Reyes stuck with the Tigers all year. Oh, did Birdie get sent back? I remember. Okay, I think that yeah, Birdie got sent back. I believe. Okay, I remember liking Birdie. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. But, uh, uh, yeah. So, so, oh, Phillies traded to Pirates. Yeah. No, he stuck. Did he stick? Birdie, but I think he got hurt. I think he got the because. Oh, he got the table list. Yeah, treatment. Yeah, I'm looking at it right here. He was. Oh, and Elisir uh, Hernandez, I think, stuck with the Marlins. So that's uh, actually a pretty decent rate, but. Yeah, but none of these guys are really. Yeah, I mean, you've never Birdie's heard of any of those guys, and so yeah. and there's a reason for that. So. Right. Yeah, um, and it's such a total. If the MLB draft, if people want to call the MLB draft a crapshoot, take a look at the Rule Five draft. Yeah. Um. So yeah, but I think you know, good on the Royals for taking a shot. Two yep. years in a row taking two guys, and that's, that's yep. exactly what a rebuilding team should do. Yeah, and worst case is you've got to pay whatever it is, 50000 bucks or whatever to send them back. Yeah. I, I don't remember what the money is, but, I mean, it's such a – if you've got the spots, and no offense to the other 38 players on the 40-man, <laughs> I mean, there's not – there's there's tons of room for other players to give shots on, you know. Yeah, one surprise, though, is that the Royals did lose a player in the Rule 5 draft. It was Elvis Luciano, the right-hander yep. – 18-year-old right-hander they got from the Diamondbacks in the John Jay trade last year. And if you're wondering why an 18-year-old is eligible for the Rule 5 draft, I guess it was some paperwork deal technicality that I'd never yeah. heard of where, like, he re-signed his contract, and because of that he's eligible for the Rule 5 draft. I don't get it. But in any – it doesn't really make sense to me that he would be eligible, but apparently he was. It doesn't make sense to me that a team would take him at age 18 and considering he's never played a bug of rookie ball, but – the Blue Jays did, and they said that they are going to keep him on the roster and that he's got a chance to face Aaron Judge this year. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. <laughs> Which I'm like, okay, that's different than uh, you know facing guys in Idaho Falls. So, uh, Sean, what up with that? Yeah, I couldn't make sense of it either. Like why it was – what? I guess that makes sense. Someone explained to me where if, if you rework your contract in like the minor leagues, you instantly become whatever Rule 5 eligible. How we never heard anything about this – the entire time until suddenly, you know, we hear the the Blue Jays call his name in the Rule Five draft. Effectively, um, was interesting, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, I'm looking at Johan Santana. He was 20, 21 
when he was taken. And, and he but remember, got, the eligibility rules back then were a little bit different. I think it was a year less. Uh, oh, was it? If you could oh, be selected okay. a year before, you can now. Okay. He got to A ball. He got to the Midwest mm-hmm. League. Um, so and I'm just trying to think of that parallel. But, yeah, I mean, I know, like, Patrick Brennan and Alex Duvall on the side and, um, like, the Royals farm report guys overall are, are kind of uh, fairly high on Luciano. You know, maybe he ends up being a star, but, like, as you said, I mean – he hasn't even broken into full season ball yet. And so it's tough to, it, it it's, it's bizarre to see the blue Jays take him. And if he turns into a mega star, um, then, okay. You know, he chalked that one up to, you aren't going to keep him anyway. I mean, the chances of him becoming a star are so, you know, infinitesimally slow that if that happens, you just chalk it up to the baseball gods, just kind of kicking you in the teeth. Cause there's no way at this moment you can think that one, he is really, really going to stick all year and they're not just going to stash him in the bullpen as much as they can. Cause remember the blue Jays aren't going to be any good this year either. So they have room to just kick him in the back of the bullpen. Um, and if he does, it's really tough to see him being good anytime soon. But if he goes and he blows up and he's awesome and he ends up being, you know, their star closer for the next 10 years, then whatever hats off to the blue Jays for, for being, smart and taking them but that's very hard to see at this point yeah I, I think like even if he was like a really good talent like what does a year of sitting in the back of a major league bullpen yeah. getting into eight one blowouts against the yankees yeah yep. and he'll be demoted he'll be demoted next i mean yeah come spring training next year he'll, you know he'll be demoted out of camp so it's a full yeah, almost year so I, don't, yep. I, guess, I think they're trying to hope that they catch lightning in a bottle and he's just like super advanced well beyond his years and figures yeah. it out and is somewhat contributing this year but i just yeah i don't see it i would yeah. guess he gets returned mid-season but i don't know yeah. what the plans are possible and roberto zuna yeah i was thinking like they've had some success i mean roberto zuna was 20 they promoted him right from high a um to the majors and Remember he... they did that with drew hutchison too they like took him from like high oh, a to that's right at the major leagues at a young age and he did okay and then kind of got battered around and was out of yeah baseball yeah and i remember ago. thinking he was going to be pretty good because he did have uh, pretty good age, twenty two and uh, sorry, twenty three season. Aaron Sanchez uh, was Aaron Sanchez up pretty quickly. Um, yeah, he was. Uh, he was up in twenty fourteen, and he would have been twenty twenty one. Yeah, That's pretty young. He, but he got to a he got to high A double A triple A, and he was a top whatever fifty prospect. So yeah. he, but I mean, they do have some track record, and when you're talking about three two guys, effectively, it's tough to call that track record. But yeah, I mean, they definitely push the forefront of promoting pitchers and unlike hitters i mean if you've got a reliever you can basically if you have a reliever you, you can kind of tell like okay let's just go like what what are we going to change about him other than maybe you know fix his command a little bit try to do that i mean he's really just going to go out there and try to blow the doors off of hitters um and you don't necessarily need to you know face 80 innings of high A, 80 innings of double A, 80 innings of triple A to just go out and throw the ball as hard as you can and try to blow guys away, um, which is kind of what Ozuna did. So, I mean, they they have the ability with kind of relief prospects to kind of push that envelope as opposed to pulling a guy with, you know, 80 at-bats in low A, promoting him to the majors. That's a much, much bigger jump than promoting a reliever, you know, up the ladder that quick. Yeah. Well, uh I guess we can talk a little bit about what you expect from the Royals the rest of the offseason. Um, it's been kind of a slow offseason. I think, um, you know, last year really conditioned me to think uh, that any activity this year would be more than than last year. But it's 
it's been pretty slow. I know everyone's kind of waiting for Manny Machado and Bryce Harper yeah. to sign. I guess, first of all, you have a prediction on where Harper and Machado end up. I know there's been a lot of buzz with the White Sox make, maybe making a big move. The Phillies seem like they're yeah. really in on signing one of those guys. The Yankees, of course, are in the mix. I mean, what's what's kind of your uh, spidey sense telling you? I love I love the White Sox doing that. If the White Sox did that, I think that's the move of the offseason. Um, if only because one, signing either one of them will fit their timeline. Um and two, I mean, they're not as it stands. The White Sox are going to be like a not even, not a fringe is not the word I'm looking for, but they're going to be a team that's probably going to win. I don't know, 75 games or so, um, maybe more, probably less, uh, but somewhere around there. But if you pick up, you know, Bryce Harper, and then you've got uh, Luis Robert, uh, you know, Joe Bob, and then you've got or Lou Bob, and then you've got you know, um, Eloy Jimenez, and you've got a couple guys, maybe Mancata, figure something out. Tim Anderson's not too bad. Um, you know, maybe Giolito and all the Reynaldo Lopez figure some stuff out. I mean, they've got some things where some high volatility guys that could turn around, and then you've added six wins, we'll call it, with Harper or Machado. You know, they've got a lot of variance on that team that if things go decent, and then, like, Yonder Alonso has bounced back. Like, if things go well, then yeah. I mean, you could see them winning 84, 85-ish games, sneaking the playoffs. Unlikely, but possible. Um, and so I love that move. I, I don't know if that's going to be it, but I, I do like that. I think the Phillies have been kind of the, the like, the odds-on favorite for both of them. Although, was it John Heyman? Someone just said yesterday that, Neither one of Harper or Machado even like the Phillies. Um, <laughs> they're not wrong. I, yeah, no, agree. <laughs> and so, and they're like, this is not my first choice, uh, which I guess makes sense. Uh, and so, Yankees are a good one. I still think the Dodgers are going to be in play for Harper, um, even though Machado actually maybe makes more sense because you know he's quote he's already been on the team, and you know the the, the narrative goes that you know since they know about him, whatever. Um, but. No, I, I do – I don't know. What do you think? You go first. I want you to go first on this one. Uh, I I think that Dodgers move last week where they traded away Matt Kemp and Alex Wood signaled that they think they're pretty close on it, you know, at least landing one of – I would imagine Bryce Harper because he's the one that makes sense. Uh, and I can't imagine that they would do that move and then have to say, oh, we can't get Bryce Harper. We're going to get A.J. Pollock. Like, yeah. eh, that doesn't – I mean, he's a good player. Uh, but I don't know if that would fly in L.A. So I, I feel like they're going to get Harper, and he's from Vegas, which isn't too far away. It's a, you know, you want to be on a premier team, and the White Sox and Phillies are in big markets, but they're not premier teams. White yeah. Sox are second fiddle in their own market. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I feel like, you know, you go to the L.A., you go to L.A., you're, you're Hollywood. I mean, you're going to be treated yeah. like the biggest star in baseball. And he already is, you know, kind of treated like one of the biggest stars in baseball. But I think that would just enhance his brand. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Machado, I don't know. I mean, I guess Philly makes the most sense to me um, because I think they're going to, you know, they've kind of hinted they would spend silly money or stupid money, they said, yeah. this offseason. Yeah. And I think they would just throw a boatload of money at him. I think the White Sox will make a very competitive offer on both. Uh, there's talk that Reinsdorf, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, wants to kind of make a splash before he is no longer with us anymore, and he's oh, okay. you know he's been notoriously stingy yeah, throughout yeah. his entire um, ownership. And 
uh, they they will probably sell the team once he passes, so that might add to the value of the franchise. You know, put the White Sox on the map again because they're not um, really that relevant in Chicago sports right now. And then they did they did they just signed a deal to have a TV uh, channel with the Blackhawks and I think yeah, the Bulls. Yeah. So that could all play into that. You know, being a star in Chicago is is all is a big deal too. So I think they'll make a competitive offer. But yeah, I think I think probably the Dodgers and then Machado the Phillies, but. Watch out for the mystery team. You, know, you always got to watch out for the mystery team. Yeah, I think I think Harper. I think an interesting thing would actually be Harper signing like that uh, Yoenis Cespedes kind of deal, where it's like four years with an opt out. I yeah, think I feel like both will get probably get an opt out. Yeah, definitely for sure. So, um, do, they, yeah, do you think they think exceed three hundred million dollars? Yeah, but like marginally. I mean, you know, they're not gonna. No, I, I'm not sure they get three hundred eighty million, mm-hmm. but maybe they get three hundred ten or something. Um, so no, I don't think that they're going to get much more, you know, noticeably more than 300 million. Um, just because can you name a single one of those mega deals that has, has worked out in the past five I feel years? Like the Alex, well, the past five years. Yeah. But I feel like Alex Rodriguez, when he signed his deal, yeah, they, sure. the Rangers and Yankees yeah. got their money's worth. Yeah. Lately though, I guess Cano. Max Scherzer, Max Scherzer has been worth it. Yeah. 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 Scherzer. And, and I mean, he's just been a freak. Um, Justin yeah, Verlander, I, mean, like, I guess he wasn't a free agent though; he was an extension. Yeah, and like Cano's deal, Pujols' deal. Well, Cano's deal still has quite a bit left, I think. Yeah, it and still has. He's not going to be that years. great going forward. Yeah, and then like I don't know, uh, like Josh. I don't know if Josh Hamilton counts, but you know he got whatever four years, hundred and fifty million or whatever it was. I don't know. So no, I, I don't think that the big money Hayward's deal certainly hasn't worked out the way the Cubs wanted. Um, Chris Davis. Ooh. Yeah, Chris Davis, which, what a joke anyways that deal was to begin with. Um, well, but that's kind of the point, though. I think, like, the Chris Davises of the world and the, uh, you know, shouldn't be getting that kind of money. Yeah. Whereas, like, the Alex Rodriguez, the, you know, the Alex Rodriguez should. The Manny Machado should. Yeah, um, yeah. Bryce, I think there's probably maybe a few more warts on Bryce Harper because he, he's had some inconsistent seasons, but he's probably worth a lot. Yeah. Um, oh, I would pay him three hundred million. You know, and he's very young. That's the other yep. big factor with both these guys. They're very young. You could sign them for ten years, and they're not going to fall apart all of a sudden like Albert Pujols because Albert Pujols is no. fifty years old. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, no. I mean, I don't know. I, I think that. Yeah. I think I'm going to go with Harper to the Dodgers, and I will say Machado to the Phillies. Then it seems like Middleton is just going to be like this offseason if they don't if they don't sign. Harper or Machado, they're just going to consider it like a failure of an offseason because they, like you said, they've talked about stupid money. And I think that, you know, their mission is one of these two are bust, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it means overpaying the next suitor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they only go out and win 78 games next year or something. They're still going to consider it a successful offseason if they sign them or complete failure if they don't, um, which is a really, really, really bad way to look at or to run your ball, you know, your <laughs> team. Yeah. Based off, is it, if a successful offseason is signing one player, then you had a crappy offseason, or you you need to set different standards. So, right. Let's bring it uh, a little closer home to our division, the Central Division, which right now looks like by far the weakest division in baseball. Um, the Indians uh, had an interesting, I guess, three way deal in which they got Carlos Santana back, uh, traded away Edwin. Encarnacion, there's uh, rumors they're going to trade Corey Kluber possibly to the Padres and a couple other 
interested suitors as well. Kind of seems like they're selling off assets. And I've heard I've heard both arguments. One is that they're giving up too early, or they know they can win this division with 85 wins. So why pay top dollar to do that? The other argument is, you know, they're they're it's better to sell off assets a year too early than too too late, and yeah. get good value and kind of keep this thing going for another couple of years. What's kind of your take on what the Indians are doing? Yeah, I think that they're doing a good job of. Um, I think we brought this up. We talked about this actually in the rumblings this um, today, as in Thursday. Um, I think that they do. I think it was today, maybe it was yesterday, where they they're like the Rays model, where it's just perpetually trying to be. It's wrong to say perpetually trying to be good, but the Rays the Rays operate in a way that they have to trade their shorter term assets for longer term assets, um, and their whole model relies on hitting on these um, these trades effectively these rolling over of short-term to long-term assets um and cleveland i think operates similar to that sense where they're going to trade either kluber or bauer um knowing that they kind of have to roll these over into longer control assets that are you know it's tough to get another kluber but if you can get someone as good as kluber excuse me if someone who's kluber ish maybe kluber light um, and you've also extended the window on that player for, you know, six more years or for six years or even five years or the like, you know, then that's the kind of moves you're interested in making. Now the Rays operate at a much lower payroll. So the Indians have that kind of hybrid model, um, that like the pirates also kind of operate at this level too, uh, where they can, they're just continuously rolling over assets, which I think this is what they are going to do with Kluber. I don't think by any means they're trying to give up on um 2019 which i think someone mentioned that and that's not it at all i just think they realized that yeah it's better to sell an asset early than it is to sell it too late um and, and so if they move kluber if they move bauer um or even carrasco or um any of the or even um whatever's name is that i'm totally blanking on uh who went from the bullpen uh santana danny santana no uh salazar salazar oh um even if they move him, I mean, they're just effectively just going to roll over into something a little more longer control, even if you take a little bit hit on, you know, the the wins above replacement level. Yeah, this has kind of been their MO for almost two decades now. I mean, they just don't hang on to their um, stars past their free agency period. And oftentimes they do trade them, you know, before they even hit free agency. I mean, you look even the past like a decade ago, they were trading away Cliff Lee and yeah. CC Sabathia and, um, you know, players like that, and that, that kind of helped build, uh, Victor Martinez, another one, that kind of helped build the basis of the team they have now. So it's, in a way, it's kind of, it's been very successful in helping you always build a, you know, perpetual, not every year, but, you know, more years than not, they win 90 games. You know, they, they've had a couple down years, especially when the Royals were successful, but, um, but they've won 90 games a lot. Now, I think there's also something to be said about pushing all your chips in for one big push, and they've got an MVP Cal, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. caliber player in Jose Ramirez. They've got a, probably another MVP type player in Francisco Lindor. You've got a Cy Young type pitcher in Corey Kluber, a guy who's won the Cy Young. Um, you've got you know the best rotation in baseball, arguably one of the best rotations in baseball. So I kind of feel like that this is the time to strike and and yeah. push all your chips in. And if you lose Corey Kluber to free agency, then you'll still get a draft pick for him. Um, unless you know he gets hurt, but um, but at least you've you've given it your best effort um, to win a championship 
And so, I, you know, I, I, if I was an Indians fan, I'd probably be a little upset. I mean, I get, I get the, you know, giving yourself as many cracks at um, winning a championship as you can. You know, you want to win 90 games, 95 games, uh, as many times as you can to make the playoffs. And one of those times you'll, you'll get hot in October and break through. And they nearly did a couple years ago. One went away. Um, but, I, you know, if I was the GM, I'd probably just be, you know, doubling down on the season and saying, you know, we've got three four players here that are at the top of their game that are among the best in baseball. Let's go win the darn thing. And um, yeah. I get trading yeah. away Encarnacion. That, you know, that makes sense. I don't think you want to be stuck with the last two years of that deal. Um, and, you know, if they, you know, if they trade away some of their excess starting pitching to address other needs, that makes sense. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I, if I was them, I'd be pushing it for for championship. I think no. they could be just as good as Boston, New York, and Houston this year if they, if they have a good six, um, off season. Right. If they picked up, like, heck, if they wouldn't sign a Machado, now they wouldn't. But if they wouldn't sign a Machado, I mean, they would be instantly oh, yeah. an incredibly threatening team. Um, they, they don't even necessarily do that. I mean, just a couple smart, yeah. you know, low-dollar moves, I think. Because they've got the assets to make smart trades like they did. I thought the Francisco Mejia-Brad Hand deal was a pretty good deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. make, make trades like that or sign decent free agents that aren't going to bust the bank. I mean, oh, you know, or wait till February like they did with Encarnacion and get guys when their value has dropped. I mean, that's, they've been very astute about doing that. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do about Lindor and, um, Ramirez. Um, cause I think I'm, I know that I know for, well, I, sorry, I forgot Ramirez did sign a con an, ex, uh, an extension, but Lindor, Lind oh, good goodness, Lindor, rejected that whatever huge extension they offered. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, when Lindor is at ARB two or ARB three, what they end up doing with them. Um, if they do end up trading them or they just take the QO. Um, and then, you know, same thing with, I think Ramirez is owned forever. So never mind. I was wrong about that. I forgot that he did sign an extension. Um, but yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what they do with um, Lindor or uh, Bowers coming up close to, I think Bowers a free agent after this year. I want to say, I think he's on ARB three at this point, but he might've been a super two guy. Um, can we talk about as well? I don't have to talk about it. I just want to mention this. Jerry Depoto is the best GM on earth. Um, <laughs> He's certainly the most active. Yep. He has made seven trades. Most teams only make seven trades in an entire year. He's made seven since uh, since November 8th. Um, and including, <laughs> including that one where what was like they were about to leave the winter meetings and then someone made a trade and then DePoto was like, wait a second, hold on. I got to get the last, last <laughs> lap. I got to get the last trade in. And so whatever it was, he negotiated it from his hospital, literally from his hospital bed. Um, cause he was sick. Uh, incredible. I, I love Jerry DePoto. I wish he was a Royal GM. <laughs> I feel like though, he's like the epitome of the Craig Goldstein tweet. That's something to the fact oh, yeah. of like, uh, Billy Bean makes twelve trades, makes a team slightly slightly worse, but also slightly <laughs> cheaper. Ah, yes, yes, I see it. National <laughs> signed Max Scherzer to a three hundred million dollar deal. That makes no sense. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah, he makes a lot of trades. Is he making his team a lot better? Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I don't like. I didn't get the. Uh, uh, oh no! I actually thought the, the Domingo Santana deal. I thought was a really smart trade. Uh, yeah. I don't think the Royals could have made a play for him, but he's a nice player. You know, hit thirty home runs in two thousand seventeen. Still a very young player. Yeah, he's got a lot of flaws to his game, sure. But they got him for, I think, Gamel's like a fourth outfielder, really. But um, I don't know. I thought it was a pretty astute trade. Yeah, someone mentioned, who was it? I think it was, uh, is it Tony Hale? I'm trying to think of, not Tony Hale. Um, whatever his name, the Diamondbacks GM. Um, God dang it, one of my ex-Diamondbacks GM. Uh, now i got to look up his name. I forgot. Uh, he would basically would call up. 
I think he tried um, to make trades just like on the fly. Like he would call people and be like just kind of talking to him and then be like, hey, what do you think about trading? And just this is what reminds me of DePoto where he would just kind of make stuff up. He would just call someone and say, hey, what are you doing? Let's uh, make some trades. And I love I love DePoto so, so much. I do like the fact that he doesn't seem overly attached to any of his players. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I, 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 Dade Moore is a completely opposite of that. And, and for, for better or for worse, I think there's good and bad with that. I think um, I think he tends to overvalue the guys he has now over against what is out there. On the other hand, I think um, there's some value into stability and building a you know cohesive clubhouse. But um, but yeah, sometimes it irritates me because I feel like you know the guys, some of the guys we have, and, and there's other better, and there's other fish in the sea. Dave, yeah, <laughs> you can take take a yeah. chance on one of those guys. But uh, yeah, Dave, Chip Hale. So I said Tony Hale. Chip Hale was the manager. Dave Stewart was the GM. I'm thinking of Dave Stewart would call up other GMs oh. and just try to, try to make trades just on the fly. Yeah, well, I, even, he also know. ended up trading uh, Dansby Swanson and Ender yeah. Inquiarte for uh, <laughs> Shelby Miller. So what I don't know if that worked out for him so well. What an incredibly dumpster fire of like a tenure, a very short tenure. But good on good on the um, the Diamondbacks for realizing, okay, this guy's awful. <laughs> Because I think he only made it for – I mean, he didn't stick around for that long, no, he right? He was not there very long at all. So. Uh, yeah, he was the uh, – sorry. Yeah, I'm not sure. Oh, 2014. Uh, so 2014 to 2016. Yep, yeah, so he made a, it. That's a very short for GM. Yeah, for GM. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, ha- oh, gosh. And he he, he left – not that the – not that Dynamax were awful when he left because obviously they made the playoffs, but like – you know, he signed Grinky to that crazy – not crazy, but, you know, that $200 million deal, made made all those awful trades, didn't draft well at all. It just – I don't know. Poor poor Diamondbacks, but they're – they traded away Goldschmidt. I, I, we've been calling about that one for a long time, but that's a, that's just amazing how good how good they were despite um, Stewart. Yeah, I think they, it seems like they've really squandered a lot of talent in oh, the yeah. last decade, really. It's kind of sad, but oh well. I'm not a Diamondbacks fan, so no. Hey, uh, one trade real quickly that I want to talk about. I didn't get a lot of press because I think it was right before the holidays. Um, but the Oakland A's, the Tampa Bay Rays, and Texas Rangers pulled off kind of an interesting three-way trade, at least to me. And I was just thinking about it because it's they the Rangers traded Jerks and Profar, who you mentioned earlier, uh, to the A's uh, in a complicated three-team trade. Essentially, what the A's gave up to get Profar. First of all. Jerkson Profar was once considered the top prospect in baseball. Oh, yeah. Can't miss. He has not really lived up to that, although he's starting to show signs of, of becoming something. Last year, he was a two to three wins above replacement player, depending on who you go by. Uh, hit, um, I want to say, let's see, he hit 254, 335, 458, 20 home runs out of a middle infield position. Pretty good. Um, he's got three years of control less left, so he's not terribly expensive, and he's got, um, he's got, some, he's got some control, so... I wanted to draw some some parallels to Whit Merrifield. I know there's a lot of differences. Whit is older, first of all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whit has one more year of control, and Whit has been much better, at least the last two years, than Jerickson Profar. But on the other hand, Profar is younger and may have more potential over the next three seasons. Uh, I think if you want to project what each will do over the next three years, um, Profar, I think some people might like what Profar does over Whit, what Whit does. Uh, but the, what the A's gave up to get him was not much at all. They gave up... Yeah. Uh, Emilio Pagan, who's a reliever, kind of a middling long reliever, not you know nice talent, but not not anything special. 
They gave up minor leaguer Eli White, who's kind of like kind of like Whit Merrifield in the minor. He's kind of a utility infielder guy who can do a little bit of everything, but not certainly not a top prospect. May maybe a top ten in your organization, but but that's a stretch, I think. Uh, they gave up a competitive lottery, competitive uh, balance pick, so I think it ends up being like the 38th pick or something like that in the draft, and then seven hundred fifty thousand dollars of internationals bonus slot money, which is a significant change. On the other hand, the A's couldn't use it because they're in the penalty box for overpaying for international free agents. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they they're like, oh, we can't use this. So you can have it. So I guess then the Rangers didn't get all that. They they made a deal with the Ra- the Rays actually got the draft pick and um, I think they got Eli White. Uh, the Rangers sent a prospect to the Rays and the Rays sent a bunch of prospects to the Rangers. But is that kind of a signal that the sec the trade market for second baseman isn't great i know the free agent market for second baseman is is, is a little deeper than in past years ian kinsler is signed dj lemayhu is still out there um marwin gonzalez can play second who else is there? there's a uh, daniel murphy just signed i guess oh yeah so if the royals say the royals were truly motivated to trade with merrifield is this maybe a signal that yeah there's just not you're not going to get that much or is this just totally a different situation yeah i've kind of always said from the beginning that i think royals fans and the royals front office not that with merrifield is good not good i don't want to give that off that opinion off at all because he he uh, you know on against everything that i've said or even josh dugan or the likes have said that you know oh he He's never going to repeat 2016. Oh, he's not going to repeat 20. Or excuse me, 2017. Oh, he's not going to repeat 20. You know, 18 again. Um, despite all of that, he is a good player. So, I, I do think that the the Royals front office and the Royals fandom might overrate as far as what they'll get back in return for Merrifield. And, and I ran the kind of quote unquote numbers for it, um, and I think I came up with like a top 20 hitting prospect and like a top like 50 other hitting prospect from a value standpoint, um, a surplus value standpoint. And in reality, nobody's going to give up, uh, you know, uh, Luis Robert or uh, Victor Robles for uh, for Merrifield. They're, they're just not going to do that no matter what the numbers say. And so, yeah, I do think that the market for Merrifield isn't, isn't likely to get straight correct value for him. Um, and now you might say like, well, okay, so if they're not going to get the correct value for them, don't trade them. Okay. But what's better value getting nothing for him necessarily. And then in three years, he's either a free agent or he's maybe not good anymore, um, or getting decent value for him now. Um, and, and the Royals can't operate in that, in the former scenario. They can only live in the latter scenario where they have to get value for their players that they trade away. Um, and so, I think that the market for Merrifield isn't quite as robust as the numbers might say. And I don't know if the Profar one is a, is a perfect parallel, if only because, I mean, if you think what's best case scenario for Profar, he ends up being with Merrifield 2018, mm. you know? Um, but then there's a balance between, you know, Profar's only 26, Merrifield's 31. Um, and so there's that mix between, like, age and upside. And, yeah, the pedigree of Profar, I mean, people still see him – Anytime you see a write-up of his name, you are guaranteed to see him written up as the former number one prospect in baseball. He'll carry that for a very, very long time. Um, I mean, Jesus Montero carried whatever he was, the number three prospect, even though it was very, very clear Jesus Montero didn't want to play baseball, could not hit, (laughs) was was completely unathletic. 
he he always every time you saw his name you saw you know whatever he was number three overall prospect in baseball buxton will always be the number one overall prospect in baseball um and so i i do think that profar brings a little bit of that but i'm not sure that i do think the royals should get more out of merrifield and they should certainly ask for more than what profar got um because Profar was a change of scenery kind of guy. Now he did put up three wins, but he was a change of scenery guy more so. Merrifield is, you know, just an asset that the Royals have that they can get rid of necessarily. If that makes sense. Yeah, I didn't want to suggest that, that no, that's yeah. what the Royals would get for for Merrifield. Just that I thought it was a signal that maybe the market wasn't as robust as, as perhaps uh, some Royals fans wanted to be. And you yeah, know, I, I think you're right though. I think the Royals, uh, some Royals fans at least, are kind of overrating what they are expecting the package to be for Merrifield if he does get traded because. Uh, there was a an article at uh, ESPN.com by Bradford Doolittle and David Schoenfeld who do really good work um, suggesting some possible trades, and they suggested Whit Merrifield to the Dodgers, which makes some sense, yeah. um, for Alex Verdugo, an outfielder, and pitchers Mitchell White and Caleb Ferguson. Uh, Verdugo, I think, was – I think MLB Pipeline has them as the one or two ranked yeah. prospect in their system. Mitchell White, I think, is a top 100 prospect by some lists. And Caleb Ferguson uh, was a starter, swingman, left-hander who uh, was very successful with the Dodgers in limited action this year. Uh, and I was surprised how many people said, oh, that's not even close to what we'd take for yeah. Merrifield. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. And, I, you know, I don't think that was, like, the ideal trade that I would take for him. Like, like Verdugo, yeah, it'd be nice. I, I think a nice player to have in here. Uh, but um, but I'd take that deal, I think. I mean, I think oh, if absolutely. that was offered, I would – I would take it at this point, and I was surprised at the pushback. So, um, yeah, I think some people are expecting, like, a top-name prospect. And I think with Mitch Merrifield, it's going to be more like quantity over quality. I think you're going to get, like, four decent prospects yeah. um, that are not necessarily top 100 guys, that are maybe just outside the top 100, uh, rather than, you know, one stud, another pretty good guy, and then two lottery tickets. So, yeah. Wouldn't surprise me if they got, like, the Brett Phillips – um, Jorge Lopez, you know, Javier yeah. Lopez. Uh, if they got those type of guys, if they yeah. got like four of those guys. Right, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and, and, you know, I think, that, and I don't think they're going to trade him, I, they, but they have kind of left the door open. I think David Moore said a couple times, like, like, we'll see in a year. So I think if, I, I think what they want is that they want Nicky Lopez to push him off the position. So, yeah, yeah. you know, they don't want to necessarily trade him before they know Nicky Lopez will be as good, uh, yeah. which he won't be in year one. But if he gives you signs that, He's going to be pretty good, uh, pretty quickly. Then, then maybe you feel more comfortable about trading with at that point, and it makes more yeah. sense. So we'll see you next yeah. summer. But I do, yeah, I'm with you. I think it's unlikely that they trade him this year, and of course we said that last year too. So it's just like we know at some point they're going to have to trade him. There's no excuse, whether it be now, whether it be two years from now, unless suddenly we wake up tomorrow. And Brett Phillips is a four-win player, and Montessi's a six-win guy, and Ryan O'Hearn's three. Unless we, you know, uh, July rolls around, and all of a sudden the Royals are sitting, you know, number one in the division by, you know, ten games or something. Short of that, there's there's really not a realistic scenario, I don't think, where you have in the window of ex- Merrifield's either control or expected production where he'll, you know, feasibly be good that you can see him as being, you know, a core player for a competing team on the Royals, at least. So you know you're going to trade him. The question is just when. And the answer to that question is almost always now as opposed to later. Uh, And we've learned from time and time in the past that the answer to that question has got to be now or very soon because you can't just keep putting off, putting off because we saw that with 
basically everyone the Royals have tried to trade semi-recently, you know, they've kept held them, especially all the closers they've held that just got nothing for them. So. Well, it was, it's interesting because I don't, I think we discussed in the rumblings before, but um, I don't think Dave Moore has actually traded a guy that was like a starter or like a significant contributor more than one year before he reached free agency or my, except for Zach Granke because he forced a trade. Yeah. Is that, is that correct? I mean, David DeJesus, I guess maybe they, yeah, they tried to trade him and yeah. he got hurt and he had a year and a half left before free agency, but I don't think he's traded a guy like that far in advance of free agency, unless I'm missing somebody. Yeah, no, I could be overlooking somebody, but yeah, Davis was a one year guy. Um, that's probably right. Now, Dayton Moore hasn't done that. Dayton Moore hasn't done – doesn't feel like he's done that many major league – doesn't feel like he's traded many major leaguers. Right, right. um, Overall, to begin with, it seems like he's usually dealing from minor leaguers. So, yeah, no, I think that's probably about right. We know – and then he held on to every single QO guy from last year. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I think that's probably about right. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we can expect him to be held until 2020 or 2021. (laughs) We'll see if he still has any value by then. Yeah, and that's why that's what I'm saying. The answer is almost always trade them now as opposed to trade them later. But I don't know how much higher up. And a final point on the Perfar Merrifield thing, where when we talk about you know they've each got three years of control or four years, um, remember that Merrifield has put up pretty impressive numbers. Um, his ARP salaries are going to be considerably more than Perfar, who yeah. has been injured yeah. all this. Time. Yeah. Uh, and has not had a chance to put up the Gaudi, the Gaudi numbers that arbitration stupidly likes to reward, like RBIs and stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, not only the control similar, but I Profar's going to be considerably more cheaper. So you would actually maybe expect a, a little better return for Profar um, if you really buy in the upside than what you get from Merrifield. So I do think your analysis isn't so isn't awful, Max. You you did a decent job on that one. Well, I, I think it also is just a sign that Billy Bean's a really good GM, or, yeah. or you know he's got a really good team in place. Oh, and, they, and of course he went to the, of course he went to Oakland. I mean, yeah. of all the guys that would do that, it's Oakland. Oakland loves Tommy John guys because they know the value there, and you know they love these former guys that kind of have fallen off. And when they picked up, um, um, not not uh, not Willie Adames. I can't. I'm blanking on. They picked up someone who's oh Franklin Barreto. Um, they also love the guys that get dinged because of defense. Like Barreto's not a very good defensive shortstop, but who cares if he's going to hit 30 home runs? I well, well I wonder what's going to happen to him now that second base is presumably blocked and Marcus Semi is at shortstop. Man, I don't know if he's yeah. on the move or if, if if they trust Barreto's defense at short or if he's just going to be like a super utility guy or what. But yeah, nice say, problem to have. He sounds like yeah. It sounds like Simeon's. I mean, what's Simeon's got to be like twenty eight by now, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't care enough about Marcus Simeon to look up his stats. So, well, we'll wrap things up uh, a little bit. I guess just wrapping things up. What do you expect out of the Royals the rest of this off season? I know that's it's probably going to be slow going until yeah. spring training, but they probably have some, a couple more moves in their up their sleeves, don't they? Um. Yeah. I still. I feel like uh, Jeff Flanagan has mentioned. Um, like the Royals are going to focus on those kind of um, reclamation projects for like relievers. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's still going to be out there. I, I feel like they haven't really done any of that yet. Um, they've instead picked up like Billy Hamilton, the speed guys. Um, so that's what I would probably be the most looking out for is that they go sign, um, you know, random guy to compete spring training to see how that ends up going. So it's worked with Mike Miner. 
and it hasn't worked with Travis Wood. So, <laughs> yeah, if you told me they'd spent seven million dollars by Christmas, I would have thought for sure it was like oh, yeah. some former closer like Blake Parker or Cody Andrew, Allen or someone yeah, like that. Trevor Rosendahl. Yeah, we're like, um, you know, they were just hoping to catch lightning in a bottle and um, get some get some saves out of him. Shelby um, Miller sign. That's who I want them to still go after. I still yeah, Shelby to... Miller still out there, um, yeah. which we could see. Maybe he could end up in Kansas City. Um, uh, but yeah, I think they'll, they'll probably, I think you probably see some signings in February just before camp opens where like they, they pick up some guys off the scrap heap or guys that have just found no market out there and like, Hey, come to Kansas city and boost your numbers. We'll give you a chance. We yep. got, we got nobody in our bullpen other than Kevin McCarthy and a couple other random guys. So, uh, Peter Moylan, Peter Moylan's available. Peter Moylan is available. Blaine Boyer is available too. <laughs> I think he's very available. So what would you what would you put the over under percentage wise at Mustakas coming back? Would you, if I said, if I said twenty percent odds, would you take the under or over on that? Twenty percent chance of him coming back? Yeah, I'd probably take the under on that. I think. Okay. I don't think he's coming back. I think. No. I think this is this has been it. Um, yeah. I think there has got to be a team out there for him this year. The brewer, the brewer said that the, you know they mentioned that there was a possibility. I think that. He could return, and the Angels, you know, I don't think the Zach Cozart experiment at third went that great, and maybe Cozart slides over to second, and Moose plays third. I don't know, um, but it seems like there'd be more at Philadelphia. I don't think Mikel Franco is really a solution there. Would you rather have given the eight years, hundred forty-four million to Mustakas or Hosmer? Eight years, forty-four million. Oh, hundred forty-four million. Yeah, the the Hosmer's oh. deal. <laughs> would you rather have given that to Mustakas or Hosmer? If you could give it out today, yeah, who would you rather? If I had no. to give it to one of them? Yeah. That's a tough deal. Eight years? I feel like Mustakas will be better for the next three or four years, but I feel like yeah. Hosmer will stick around longer. Like, okay. I, can see Moose, I can see Moose being out of the league in five years. <laughs> Whereas I think I can see him out of the league in two around. years. Man, but Hosmer was so bad last year. Yeah, I'd probably just... No. I guess I'd probably say Mustakas, but that's what I think too. It's yeah. a shitty deal either way, but still, it's like, man, like I don't know. Dave Cameron, I I don't want to rub any dirt on Dave Cameron here, but <laughs> I how did how on earth did he not quit the org as soon as they did that? It's just incredible <laughs> that nobody was pounding the table more to not sign Eric Cosmer than Dave Cameron and his organization signs Dave Cameron or signs Cosmer. I still can't believe they signed for that much money. Incredible. <laughs> and it, that he's been that bad. And, and it's only he's been, been a year. It's been one and, not, and the Padres weren't even good. I mean, yeah. if you want to sign Bryce Harper to a mega deal, yeah, okay, he's 26. But Osmer was 28, was incredibly inconsistent, and gets you no, gets you really no closer to contention than if you didn't sign him. I don't know. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, like, just imagine if they had, like, acquired, like, C.J. Cron for nothing last year and saved oh, yeah. money for, like, Making a run at Machado Harper this year, like they'd yeah. be in such better shape, such better shape. Yeah, but. and they've got the crappy Will Myers deal. They've got oh yeah, they already had Myers at first base. I forgot about that. <laughs> right, Jeez. and they had James Shield. It's like they haven't learned the lesson of stop giving money to these guys yeah. that are not that good. I don't know. I, and I still think, I still think there's a world where Will Myers ends up being like a six-one player. Yeah. Um, and I'm rooting for him, even if he, you know, even if maybe some Royals fans could have bad feelings for him. I don't know how that's possible. But if they did, I, I'm rooting for Will Myers always. Who, I love Will Myers. Who is the worst run organization right now? I mean, because it feels like every team is like in on the analytics deal, um, but um, there's still 
some teams out there that aren't particularly well. Yeah, involved. I mean the Marlins are pretty bad. But that's more Bal- ownership, I think, than yeah. Uh, Baltimore was pretty bad, but they just actually you know grabbed it. Yeah, yep, yep. They're actually going to be decent. Um, I mean, no offense, the Royals organization is a little hit and miss. Um, I feel like the Mets are always kind of up there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's it. It's the Mets. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the Mets are terribly, terribly run, especially since you they signed – they hired a GM who was like the agent of like eight. Yeah, ex- I can't believe that, like, that happened. <laughs> that is incredibly terrible. Um, He's so, yeah. the agent for their best pitcher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, not anymore, but – Right. Uh, but yeah. still, even when they negotiate, yeah. he knows exactly what – uh, Syndergaard's looking for, oh, and DeGrom, exactly, I think he's Grom's agent, or is he Syndergaard's agent too? He's, yeah, he's Syndergaard's agent too. Or oh, uh, no, I think he's Syndergaard's agency is the one he worked for. Yeah, well, or Degrom even. Yeah, but it's like if there's an injury that Degrom hasn't told the Mets about, well, guess what? The Mets now know about the injury, <laughs> which I think is illegal. Uh, Cheryl Ring was right about that on Fangraphs. So I think that's illegal for him to to use that against him. I don't know. Anyways, but yeah, the Mets are probably it then. That's got it. <laughs> Good old Mets. We can have another the contest between the Mets and Orioles. So. Oh yeah, God, terrible. Oh okay. Well, hey, we'll we'll uh, we'll be covering all the Royals transactions this off season, all the the good and the bad. Um, and you can follow us at RoyalsReview.com or on Twitter at RoyalsReview. And as always, you can always follow Sean on Twitter as well uh, at Sean Core S H A U N C O R E. Are you uh, working on anything particular other than the uh, lab stuff? Um. Yes, I've still got a few pieces kind of in the in the canister, waiting to really not waiting for. I just need to kind of write them up. Um, but I might hop on one of those um, questions right away. That we've actually gotten a, several, uh, at, at least five questions already. So really don't good act like too. yes, very good ones. So don't act like don't think that oh they've gotten five, they don't need more. We we are going to be parsing them out throughout the year. It's a quiet and, off season. It's yep. we need a lot to write about. <laughs> yep. And as a bonus you'll get a shout out. Um, right. if you want to leave your your Twitter or something on there, I will give you a shout out in the article and everything too. So you get that bonus if you send us questions. Royals Review Lab at Gmail. Royals Review Lab at Gmail dot com. Please. Thank you. All right. Well thank you, Jashawn. And uh, I guess the next time we talk it'll be the new year. So I Everyone out there, thanks uh, so much for a great year. Thanks for reading. Thanks for listening. And have a very happy new year. And, Sean, do you want to end it? And also, uh, Best of Royals Review 2018 is coming, right? It's coming out, yep, right around the corner. We'll have the best articles and gifts and comments that made us chuckle throughout the year. All right, cool. Well, uh, as Max said, everybody, take care and have many, uh, many good days.